everybody. You're listening to Canada FM, the show that profiles Canadian bands that really only made it big in Canada. Enjoy. This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, I can't slow down. It's going to go. First offense. All of the mix. Because I'm from Canada, don't think I'm an amateur. Because I'm so fly, I'm jumping dope like Panama. Got Toronto's rap title. Fell into darkness and came up just like a champion. So lights at the end of the tunnel. Bring the anthem in. To my city, got the crown, I'm a town. No one can ever take this away. This week's edition of Canada FM, the show that profiles Canadian bands and artists that really only hit it big in the Great White North. I'm Ted. I'm Brian. And uh, Brian, after a rock band last week, industrial rock band, I think we're going to try to cover all the genres and go with uh, the godfather of Canadian hip-hop, Maestro, a.k.a. Maestro Fresh Wes. Yes. Yes, yes. yes. And I'm looking forward to this, too, because uh, actually you sent me, and I ended up watching it, the, the interview with uh, Drake talking about how much he loved Maestro and yeah. Cardinal Official calling him his, like, granddad or something like that. Yeah. Like, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because in, it seems like the Canadian hip-hop game, well, we'll get into it in the show, they recognize what a trailblazer he is. His book had a Ford by Chuck D and me and you yeah. saw him get invited onto the stage by Chuck D. So public enemy who I think are maybe the greatest hip hop group that ever lived. They yeah. get maestro. Yeah. Well, they, they go way back, but I'm sure you'll get into the history, but the, um, the thing is, and no one can probably attest to this better than Maestro, is just like in war or in a police raid or anything, the first one through always gets hits with all the bullets. It's the people that uh, – <laughs> the people after the fact that go through the clear door or have it have it much easier and can get much further along. You know what I mean? And get all the glory. Unfortunately, it took like 30 years for that door to be cleared for Canadian hip-hop. Yeah. <laughs> it took a long time. A lot of guys had to hit the bullets. I mean, like, well, we had some good, like, musicians since, like, Rascals, Classified, long before Drake. Um, But, like, those are also ones that I don't think uh, went past our boundaries, in my opinion. I could be wrong. Well, like... uh... Maestro has said in a couple of interviews I've watched with him recently getting ready for the show, uh, when he started, Canada wasn't on the map in terms of hip-hop. And mm-hmm. now Toronto is basically the capital of hip-hop throughout the world. And you look at how popular Drake is and The weekend who's doing the Super Bowl halftime show, even though he's more pop and R&B. Um, hey, he's not wrong. Well, it's one of those things. It's like, I mean, people know Toronto as a major city and like that the home of Drake and the Six and all that, like they talk about in interviews. But in terms of, I don't know if it's actually like a hip hop hub, like are people like, I mean, you too came up to Hamilton to record an album. I think it was Unforgettable Fire, but uh, like are albums being made in Toronto that are like universal, like are big names coming, say, screw New York, screw L.A. or screw wherever. I believe Dr- uh, views from the six was recorded in Toronto 
and most yeah, of Drake's stuff. I'm, I'm not a Drake what... expert, so these are questions I can't really answer. <laughs> no, no, I, I know, but I'm saying – and I'm an expert on Maestro this week. I know, but what I'm saying is, like, outside of Drake, like, I'm not, like, would Public Enemy come up north to work on an album instead oh, of staying I, in, like, Long Island? I see what you mean. Like, it'd be more like a Canadian artist. Well, like, if you're affiliated with a Canadian yeah. artist, you probably would. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's get into the life of Maestro Fresh West, a.k.a. Wesley Williams, who was born on March 31st, 1968 in Toronto. He's the oldest of three children raised by parents of a Guyanese descent. Um, he split his time growing up in North York and Scarborough, home of the bare naked ladies, Scarborough. And if anyone's interested, and if you're listening out there and you're Canadian and you went to high school in Toronto, he spent his high school years between Senator O'Connor College and La Amore Collegiate Institute. I think I fucked up that name, but that's okay. I've never heard of either of these schools, so... Well, we're not from there. Exactly. <laughs> so he cut his teeth in the hip-hop scene when he was 15 years old, and he went by the name... Now, this is interesting. I was pronouncing it Melody MC, but Maestro called himself his first name Melody MC. Uh-huh. So, like, Mel O.D. MC. And uh, he was taken under his wing by the legendary broadcaster Ron Nelson. And uh, this is the first time I'd ever heard of Ron Nelson, but he's pretty interesting. Um, He created Canada's first ever hip-hop radio show. It was called Fantastic Voyage on CKLN, which was actually a college station in Toronto, or community radio, as we call it. It aired on Saturday afternoons, and it was where the likes of Maestro, Mishi Me, and the Dream Warriors first received their exposure. That's basically the three mainstays of... Canada's first wave right. of hip-hop. Nelson also organized the country's first major hip-hop show in 1987. Check out this lineup. It was at Toronto's Varsity Stadium. Run DMC, Public Enemy, and EPMD on the same bill. Well, Run DMC and Public Enemy are tight, so that didn't were they were at that time, so that didn't shock me. But I know they were tight with EPMD. Yeah, Eric and Percy making dollars. <laughs> <laughs> anyhow, uh, they, anyhow, he's now Maestro's referred to as the Godfather of Canadian hip hop, but Ron Nelson was known as that as well. So there's no Maestro if there's no Ron Nelson. He re- definitely got the ball rolling. Yeah. Anyway, back to Maestro. As Mellow D MC, he was part of a group called the Vision Crew with. Ebony MC, but I'm sure it's Ebony MC, if he pronounced it the same way that Meister pronounced it. And they opened for Public Enemy, Ice-T, and the Beastie Boys before eventually breaking up in 1987. It's weird that they didn't cut any albums or have any recordings, and they got gigs opening for three of the biggest hip-hop artists in the world. Well, I mean, at that time... It just if there's buzz about you, like because I remember watching documentaries about like Public Enemy. I don't even think they had put out Yo Bum Rush the Show yet, or they had just put it out, and it was like it wasn't even doing well in the states, and they had sold out like Hammersmith Odium in London. So it's like buzz, <laughs> buzz can just be created weirdly. Yeah. Like if you just have the, especially back then, if you just had the right connections, like if Ron Nelson knew anyone in the states who would like, and they can just like put the bill together, it's like they can just make it happen. So. And he clearly had clout outside of Canada if he was able yeah, to put that show to together. So, yeah, he, he was definitely a guy who helped the maestro get to where he is uh, today and still is. Yeah. Now, uh, his demos 
Those started in 1988, and uh, his producer was a guy by the name of Farley Flex. And when you listen to those early albums, he gives tons of shout-outs to Farley Flex. And Farley Flex is best known uh, for being one of the founders of Flow 93.5, which was Canada's first urban music radio station. I did not know that because that didn't even pop up until like the 2000s, that radio station. So that took forever to get an urban radio station in Toronto. Yeah, because I remember when that came up. That was like, yeah. oh, we got a new hip-hop station, or we got the first. Well, I know, but it was weird because it came out, and we were old enough to know what was going on. I yeah. didn't realize it was the first in the whole country, though. Well, like, there was before that, there was the station, it was like Energy something. It was Energy 10-something-something, something, but... Uh, yeah, Energy 108? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Energy 107.9. I don't know. But it was like dance and hip hop and stuff. But this is like it was kind of like a general pop station. But they yeah, play all that. Yeah, hot, hot, hot ACs, I believe yeah. they call it or something. Yeah. But this is the first one to actually specialize it. Because I remember hearing a lot of like Puff Daddy Mace on that energy station back in the day. <laughs> yeah, well, it, it was the big singles that they play on much music. Sure. Like this was more like you go on to like Rap City or uh, DAZN. That was yeah. other show, Rhapsody and Zone. So I think that this more channeled uh, both of those shows. Right. Excuse me. Uh, so at this point, now once he got together with Farley Flex, he went from Mellow DMC to Maestro Fresh West, and his reputation was really built. He was invited to perform on Much Music's Electric Circus, where he performed Let Your Backbone Slide before he had even recorded it. He headed off with a fellow guest that night, a guy by the name of Stevie B. And Stevie B is an American R&B singer who's best known for his 1991 hit, Because I Love You, the Postman song. Have you ever heard that one? No. I'd say it's not very good. I, I, had an issue. <laughs> I got an issue with Stevie B, because I'd never heard of Stevie B. And this is when I was DJing at, uh, uh, what was it, Beaver and Bulldog in Burlington. And one of the managers came over to me, and it was later in the night. And he goes, play some Stevie B. Play some Stevie B. I'm like, okay. So I just look. Okay, this one has the highest RPM. And the headphones weren't working because they would play the music, but I couldn't figure out the volume on the headphones. So okay. it was too quiet to hear what the song sounded like. And then we've got the rest of the music blaring, right? So I put it on, and it was this slow ballad because RPMs can be uh, deceiving sometimes. And it just drained the life out of the room. <laughs> Sitting there looking at the guy who's clearly enjoying it. And I'm just like. <sighs> and I bailed on that song as soon as I could. Hey, it pissed me off. Where are your memories of Electric Circus, by the way? I remember, like, because when I was a kid and I was, like, getting into much music and stuff, because we were, like, young and, like, we didn't go out on Friday nights unless we were yeah. like hanging out at each other's houses like we, we were too young to go out to parties or anything I remember bars, watching yeah. it and uh, it seemed like going to the club was fun so it made me seem like I wanted to be there and then as soon as I got old enough to like work in clubs as like a bouncer or anything like that I'm like this sucks I'd much rather be on my couch <laughs> for an American so, listener or a listener from Europe who may have not never heard of Electric Circus how would you describe it I mean, it's it's the equivalent of like a Dick's, Dick Clark's Rock and Eve, like a forced party, except every Friday. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit like, like a little uh, bit like Soul Train too. Yeah, because Soul Train just, they just show everyone dancing and stuff like that. They, they'd have the artists come on, except at Electric Circus they'd actually perform their song, and Soul Train they'd lip sync. So it's yeah. a little bit different. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I didn't like I didn't like Electric Circus when I was a kid because I'd be sitting there at home, with my parents. 
and hear all these beautiful people dancing. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah, what am I doing? Plus, I mean, like, I can't tell I, from because my memories are hazy from it. But like, I'm pretty sure no one was drinking. So it was like PG fun. Like, I believe like, you couldn't drink. Yeah. 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 And so, that's not to say there's plenty of drinking going on off camera. Yeah. Maybe some other stuff going on off camera. Right. But on camera, yeah, you couldn't drink. But you couldn't drink on Soul Train either. No. But it just, I don't know. It just seemed very forced. I mean, it was just like I think it was just their way of giving like the dance community, the pop like that pop community something. Much music at the time where they always had like the live events where like Queen Street or Young Street, whatever, was like crowded with people. Oh, yeah. Like play. Awesome. It, was all, it was always rock bands. Right. So dance never yeah. got its due. So this was their means of trying to level the playing field. That's a good point. All right. Well, this interaction with Stevie B, where he met him in Electric Circus, uh, it led to Wes getting signed to Stevie's label LMR in the States. And that's based in New York. So he already had a distribution deal for his first album in the U.S. So that's huge to secure that. And his career was about to take off into the stratosphere. Wes released his debut album, Symphony in Effect, in 1989. It was the first ever album certified platinum by a black Canadian artist and went on to double platinum status, peaking at number four in the Canadian album charts. It also forced the Juno Academy to recognize Canadian hip-hop music, uh, and it won the first ever Juno for Rap Recording of the Year in 1991, two years after the album's release. (laughs) We thought the Grammy Awards were a joke. That's ridiculous. So basically what I heard, and I, I forgot to put this in the script, uh, let your backbone slide. Wes won the dance recording of the year for that. Because there was no hip hop recording right. of the year. And they had to wait <laughs> literally three years, two years for finally them to be there to be one. And they gave it to him as like kind of a, hey, we, we screwed up. We were late on this. Well, like, I mean, I'm sure we'll probably get to the Rascals at some point, so I might repeat myself here. But I remember when they won the Juno for uh, Northern Touch. Yes. And it was such a big deal because it wasn't televised. And so they, like, did this big, like, speech about, like, how it's, like, I don't know if they were playing the race card or if they were just, like, saying this is, like, you know, we're just as good as any rock band or anything. And it's, like, this is bullshit that the the rap isn't getting its due and so it caused uh, such a kerfuffle so after that i believe the the rap category was part of the televised event because you know how like yes with like in, with the grammys too so many awards are given off air or before the show the grammys are stupid they need to streamline it because they have like <laughs> best rock ensemble best rock performance best rock like what it's like rock band or best out al- rock album best rock like you know what i mean as if you want to do hard rock, uh, alternative rock, and like even like hell, if you want to break it down into like for the softer, the nerds, like the emo nerds, like the <laughs> indie rock or whatever, like have three rock categories, like you know have a hip hop, a dance, and an R and B. You know what I mean? Like streamline yeah. this shit. This is why like when stupid Billie Eilish is standing there like having like six friggin' Grammys to her name that one year, and she's like sitting there like oh god, don't pick me, don't pick me. It's because it's redundant. <laughs> Like, I don't know if she was doing that for the Instagram, like, to try to seem like a normal person, or if she was, like, legit, like, this is ridiculous. But, like, it is ridiculous. They don't need so many bloody uh, categories. It's it's more about the presentation on the show than anything. The awards mean nothing. 
Rarely, if you look at like, as an example, because it's not a perfect list, and we're getting a little bit off track, but that's okay. If you look at Rolling Stone's list of the 500 albums of all time, that's 500 albums sitting right there. Look at how many actually won or were nominated for album of the year at the year of release. It's less than three quarters, I believe. It's not that many. Well, it's because yeah. those uh, like Rolling Stone is like this like we have a chance to get it right kind of thing to get yeah, like some awards is... that where it didn't get their their credit at the time yeah. as like some sort of immortals list, but they keep changing it every couple of years. They keep gutting the list. Like you can't streamline something to 500. Like that seems even like there's just so many albums. Well, here's here's my thought process on it. I think you could do a, a, a proper list based on. Based on how uh, the the, uh, the the impact it has on pop culture and just the influence it has on the music industry altogether, but right. for that influence to take effect, you really got to wait about ten years. Yeah. You know, uh, I looked at the, their updated list. There was an album that was about two weeks old. It's it's in the bottom hundred, but still, I'm like, like that hasn't they, generated anything yet. You can't do that yet. Didn't they put Billie Eilish on that list already? I'll have to go back and look at it. I don't have it quite as memorized, but still, it's it's anyhow. Award shows and lists and all this stuff very rarely do they get it right. But in this situation, I think they did get it right with Maestro. Yeah, they rectified it. He was killing it at the time. All right. Well, the album definitely reads as a tribute to the people who helped Wes get into this position. Uh, His former collaborator, Ebony MC, and manager Farley Flex contribute verses on LTD is on the Wheels of Fortune and Just Swingin'. And I believe it's Just Swingin' is the one with Ebony MC. And it is such a... Slick Rick. Yeah. Tribute slash rip. <laughs> but I loved it. It was one of my favorite tracks of the album. Just swinging along, just swinging along. Oh, yeah. Special shout out. Listen. Now, we'll get to Let Your Backbone Slide. This is a throwdown, a showdown. Hell no, I can't slow down. It's going to go. First offense. All of the mix. It held the record for best-selling Canadian hip-hop single of all time till 2008, when it was surpassed by Cardinal Fischel and his song Dangerous, which we actually talked about last week during the Econoline Crush episode. And with 50,000 copies sold, West became the first Canadian rapper to achieve gold status. This jam is amplified, so just glide. Glide. And let your backbone slide. Back then, Canada had two different singles charts for uh, by the publications RPM and The Record, and the track reached number 10 on RPM and hit number one on The Record. And it did well in the States, too. It reached number 14 on the Billboard rap charts. Now, as I continue to wax poetic about this, I have a few more accolades that let your backbone slide one. Uh, it's currently viewed as the seminal track in Canadian music history, one of the seminal tracks in Canadian music history, being named the 11th greatest Canadian single of all time by Chart Magazine in 2000, and it became the first rap song ever to be inducted into the Canadian Songwriters Hall of Fame. Let's just take a look at um, Symphony in Effect. What did you think of this album? Did you get, to, get a chance to listen to it? I've heard it before. I just kind yeah. of like retouched up because uh, when I when I went back to university, I had a radio show and they were like, Brian, I want you to do a uh, music variety show. And I was trying to like I was doing a CanCon all day like for Canada Day. So I was I played Drop the Needle. Oh, nice. uh, so I knew it years ago, but I revisited it and it's it's great. 
especially for like when hip hop in Canada was in its infancy or at least not in the mainstream, it's very much a letter of the time uh, in terms of like beats and production and sampling. Yes. I mean, uh, I mean, to his credit, he, you know, I feel I could be wrong on this because I'm not aficionado of like that full era of hip hop, but uh, I feel like no one was doing like orchestral. <laughs> Uh, no, Sam. no. And his thing was, he was the guy who wore a tux. So yeah. I think even in the States, he wasn't the Canadian guy. He was the guy with the tux. Yeah. So that was <laughs> sort of his thing there. Uh, I like the album a lot. And uh, it kind of reminds me of, and this was an album on the 500 that I did get to listen to, uh, LL Cool J's Radio. Yeah. Except I would dare say that uh, Symphony in Effect is better. Well, uh, it's... Um... I feel like he like there's two schools of thought for that era of hip hop. Like there's the the slick ricks and the like uh, grandmaster flashes where like they're they're cramming in a lot more vocals. Uh, whereas like because like his whole album starts he's like rapid fire. Like he should have been freaking called Machine Gun Kelly because his rapping oh, style yeah. was like. So, whereas like you get like someone like a EPMD. Uh, I know it's like slightly after the fact, but EPMD. Um and uh, what's their face Eric B and Rakim where it's like very mellow kind of let the songs kind of like fl- uh, like they have a bit of life to them you know what I mean if that makes sense where it's not like they they space out their rhymes where it's not like <laughs> I like that approach though I've always oh, been a fan for of the like in your I'm not saying it's bad kind of guys yeah well I'll tell you what at this point uh, Wes had all the acclaim in the world and the thing that was troubling him the most was the fact that while he's having all this success, none of his peers are getting this kind of success. And uh, in 1991, he put together a super group called Dance Appeal. And they released a single called Can't Repress the Cause. Dance Appeal are Canadian rap icons Mishi Me and the Dream Warriors, reggae artists Messenger and Lillian Allen, and other artists representing urban genres. The title is a direct rip on the Canadian Radio Television Telecommunications Commission, or the CRTC, so can't repress the cause, CRTC, kind of the same thing, and its decision to deny an FM license to Milestone Radio, which would have been Canada's first urban music station. This is in 91. It took them a decade to rectify that, which is ridiculous. It won the 91 Much Music Video Award for Best Dance Video, and it was nominated for a Juno for Best R&B Soul Recording, but it lost to Simply Majestic featuring Be Cool. And Be Cool is included in Dance Appeal, but Simply Majestic is not. And their song, Dance to the Music. Did you get a chance to listen to this song, Can't Repress the Cause? No. I did. I took a a listen to it. And uh, it's weird. So it starts off – it's really weird at the beginning because it starts off with just everyone kind of singing together like a We Are the World thing. And they kind of go like, all right, here's our R&B section. Here's our hip-hop section. Our reggae sections right in the middle, and then hip hop, and then they kind of end with R and B. So it's kind of layered like that. And of course, Maestro gets the first hip hop verse, but the first solo verse was from a white woman, the lead singer of the new wave group, the Parachute Club, who aren't even making urban music. <laughs> she got the first line in 
this. <laughs> like, even the song, the Canadian race, radio, not to be racist. It's kind of racist. It's not really. Mm. Still. I was like, why'd you make that decision? Like, yeah, I guess, like, if you're going to make this big statement of have this, like, collective of, like, to try to get, like, urban and, like, you know, yeah. as a voice for, like, the black community in, like, this country, I feel like Maestro should have been the first one to, yeah. to lay it down. <laughs> Not a white woman, but, like, yeah, it, it, whatever. And it's strange because, like, the first 20 seconds of the song, that first R&B section, it, it sucks. It's not very good. And then Maestro hits and you're like, oh, okay. Now we're into it. And it gets a lot better, better. And then the reggae part's cool. They even have, like, this little kid rapper in it who's actually pretty good. <laughs> and it gets better as it goes. But it starts off just really disjointed, but it does get better along the way. But it just shows that uh, he's the kind of guy who would always put others in front of himself. 1991 would also mark the release of Wes's sophomore album, Black Tie Affair. Hold on. Now, it's, it's not sophomore. It's sophomore. It's spelled S-O-P-H-O-M-O-R-E. Sophomore. It's sophomore. No one ever puts he that O in it. John Yokels, it's sophomore. It's sophomore. <laughs> That's how we distinguish people. Me and Maestro wearing our black ties. Yeah. We'll so it's a guy who looks like he has a bird's nest on his head. <laughs> I was wearing a hat earlier. And I didn't shower. Uh, anyway, back to Black Tie Affair. This album earned West uh, superior acclaimed symphony in effect and was certified gold, reaching number 20 on the Canadian album charts. West excels here, showcasing far more socially conscious lyrics, which are prevalent in one of the album's two singles, Nothing at All, which highlights the achievement of... Pro- prominent black Canadians like Ben Johnson, Lennox Lewis, and Oscar Peterson, while blasting race scientist Jean-Philippe Rushton, who worked as a professor at the University of Waterloo. Yes, he was a race scientist, and uh, he did all this while serving as the leader of the white supremacist group Pioneer Front. So the race expert at the University of Waterloo was a racist. That sounds about right. Young minds are being mentally crushed and mushed in, thanks to men like Rushton and others who want to smother the dream of a black mind revolutionary regime. Of course, Wes's other single on this album was Conducting Things. Move with the maestro, you feel high, so ascend the blend, the crescendo is nice, so nice you want to sweat while I start to wreck, symphony in effect was just a mic check. Which is far more successful. It only reached 42 in the Canadian singles charts, but it did earn Wes a Juno nomination for Best uh, Rap Recording, but he lost to the Dream Warriors and their hit My Definition of a Boombastic Jazz Style. Have you ever heard that one? I think I have. Check it out. It's a good one. Probably remember. One song I did love off the Black Tie Fair, I mean, it was a little uh, filthy, uh, considering for Maestro, because, like, I mean, he curses a lot. It's not like, uh, but, like, that song on the jazz tip. Embrace if you're trying to base So in haste, you find a place in Scarborough Grace When you taste what's on my waist You better jet or I'll disconnect If you disrespect the man Stealing my rhymes like Stelco Addict your chick, now she sticks like Velcro yeah. Oh, that sounds awesome! Yeah. Okay, so I uh, that's the open. It's one of the first tracks in the album It's track two, yeah Track two So It leads into conducting things At work I mean, yes, I do uh, do a lot of this stuff at work a lot of this prep uh one of the guys who's in, he's into newer rap right so if you got a little in front of your name he likes that shit <laughs> and uh he, he asked me what i was doing he's like who's maestro fresh west he hadn't heard of him so i'm like oh, God. let me uh let me take you to school and so i basically 
gave him everything he needed to know about Maestro Fresh West. He went back and he went, just heard on the jazz tip. <laughs> this guy's awesome. Right? You've never heard it before. And that was the song that he really, it, it really stood out to him. Um, what's it called? Just a little bit here, because we like to get a little bit of our ska music in there. Yeah. Uh, this is ska connection to conducted things contains a sample of Al Capone by the legendary Prince Buster, and that would later loosely be covered by the specials on the song Gangsters. Yeah. So you could make the argument that conducted things by Maestro, kind of a ska song. Plus, it's like if it's not even a ska song, it just has that very islandy kind of feel to it with the like, ding, 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 ding. yeah, it's great. And I gotta tell you personally, I thought this album was fantastic. Oh yeah, it's great. I, I like Symphony in Effect, but this was way better. Well, the thing is, Symphony in Effect is a statement album, whereas like uh, the that whole "What have you done for me lately?" effect uh, thing, where it's like yes to take it up a notch, like Izzy Mandelbaum. Yeah. In fact, I do like the Izzy Mandelbaum reference. But <laughs> I think if we were to like take albums out of these um, episodes, and take maybe not one album an episode, but just kind of kind of make a maybe make our own greatest hits list eventually. Right. Um, I put this on there. Oh yeah, this is an elite album. But no, I thought this one was fantastic, except for the song "Private Symphony." That's on blows. <laughs> Did not like that at all. It was cheesy. It was stupid. It, it had nothing to do with the rest of the album. It's just this weird, sappy love song in the middle of everything. It was weird. Maestro gets rid of that song, and it's a perfect album. Yeah. Well, I mean, even on <laughs> well, you know, Ted and I are both big fans of the 500 podcast with Josh Adam Myers, and like. There's he always talks about what makes this a perfect record. Well, he, even albums that are on that list aren't perfect records because yeah. th- like he's even there's even albums he's just like I wrote in my notes this song pass bosses <laughs> <laughs> right over it. Yeah, so. like this this song is kind of fun if you're in a cheesy kind of funny mood and I don't he doesn't take it that seriously. It just it takes you out of the flow of this album that's kind of political charged and bringing awareness to a lot of things and suddenly there's this dopey love song in the middle of it 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 just i think had he released it if he really liked that song just released it as a single yeah well i mean in that era of hip-hop in the 80s and like the when did this come out 91 uh yes or 90 um but even like in that era there's always going to be like you know weird skits or i mean look at the beastie boys that like yeah they have a lot of silly songs but like they're all pretty heavy and like whatever but then you get that stupid song girls and it's just completely different <laughs> than all the others so like everyone has something that just kind of throws it off its hinges a little bit and i'll tell you if you're a dj djing djing a wedding or something like that after intergalactic girls is the most popular beastie boys song Really? Weddings. Not even Fight for Your Right. No, Girls exceeds it. Because uh. you, you can't really dance to Fight for Your Right. I guess. Mosh, mosh if you want. Anyhow, back to Maestro. Uh, so just like 
me and you both love this album. Maestro was also very, very proud of this album, and he saw this as his opportunity to break into U.S. markets. So he moved from Toronto to Brooklyn, and then he released The Maestro Zone in 1992, and it was a repackage of the Black Tie Affair. It featured four new songs, including uh, another single, uh, which was called Another Funky Break from My Pop's Crate. And it's another it's, it's, it's another fun one. that it's, it's, it's one of those fun singles, but the album is the socially conscious thing. <sighs> and this is where things get a little bit disappointing. Now, even though it was a repackage of – this is what I love about the Junos. It's, so it's a repackage of Black Tie Affair. Most of the tracks are the same except for four. Black Tie Affair uh, was nominated for a Juno. So was Maestro Zone. They're like, right. <laughs> just as good, even though it's just the same album. Oh my god, are they idiots? Yeah, I wonder that sometimes. I mean, like, I've seen the Oscars where sometimes they have slim pickings for best yeah. picture, and so it's like sometimes they'll pick stuff that might on any other year where it's a lot of heavy hitters but may not make it in that category, so they pick it. Yeah. Like, do they just have literally no other hip hop albums to pick from that year or something? Like, even if it's crap, just put it up. I think they just didn't have the effort or maybe the resources to just get these journalists or whoever vote to listen to more music. Yeah. I think that's what it was. Or maybe it's kind of, well, it all comes from the record labels too, right? Because they got to bid for these things. They got to put, you know, it's like, you know, submit this for your consideration kind of thing. Maybe they weren't just putting these albums up for consideration. Maybe they weren't getting in the, Academy or the people who uh, the board, whoever certifies the Juno, sure whatever the hell it what is. It. We'll, we'll, we'll look into that one day and maybe we'll have a whole episode about the Junos because the Junos are just, it's another Canadian version of a US thing, but it's weird. Yeah. It's just weird. So we'll get into that later. Um, unfortunately, Maestro Zone didn't resonate with American audiences like Maestro had hoped. Um, no idea why they weren't interested. Like I said, it's a classic album. This album does contain Private Symphony, so maybe they just heard that song and they backed away. <laughs> kidding, kidding, kidding. So it was a disappointment, you know? And I don't know why that didn't catch on, because this is 92. Um, I don't get it. I don't get why American audiences weren't lapping this up. Well, I mean, part of it is a style thing because sometimes, you know, certain artists could be uh, just a few hours, a few years late on a scene in terms of like what the style is doing. Like even like mm-hmm. Public Enemy, like when they put out uh, Yo Bum Rush a Show, they yeah. production-wise, that album was by the time the album came out, they were people weren't doing that that's what everyone was doing the samples like because right. the show was more like the run dmc big drums kind of thing and that type yeah. of uh, whereas like by the time it came out the they would switch to like a lot of sampling right so yeah. it's like they're like shit we got to get something else though that's more of the time whereas maybe this album could be either out of that old era of hip-hop where it's like they were because i'm going to quickly i'll cut this together in a minute but i'm going to yeah. look up what are the albums of 90 was it 91 you said 92 92, okay. 92 was Maestro Zone. That's when he released, basically released Black Tie Affair to the U.S., so it's the same stuff. Okay, so The Chronic came out in 92. So right okay, that, that's good. Okay, that's a big competition. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe this was the shift of, like, where East Coast lost a little bit of its relevance. Maybe yeah. if he had moved out to L.A. instead of New York, maybe he could have made the right connections. That could be one school of thought. 
but I mean, you know, Wu Tang hadn't put out um, uh, 36 Chambers yet. That was the next year, so maybe that was when the the East Coast swing kind of came back. Well, it's interesting they mentioned Wu Tang because uh, Maestro wasn't given up on the U.S. yet. He had a couple tricks up his sleeve still. And while Maestro Zone failed to resonate with U.S. audiences, he pivoted and changed his image while recording 1994's Nah, This Kid Can't Be From Canada, which, love the name. Yeah. He dropped his trademark tuxedo and started rocking hoodies and baseball caps, and he adapted a sound that was very similar to underground hip-hop at the time. Uh, kind of reminded me a little of A Tribe Called Quest, and uh, a little bit of Gangstar. Reminded me of yeah. Gangstar, too. Um, critically, it was another winner in Wes's category, scoring him another Juno nomination for Best Rap Recording in 1995. It produced two singles, Certs Without the Restin'. I'm coming straight out of Canada, far from my amateur. LT's my DJ, Flex is my manager. I flow so nice. And fine-tuned the mic. I said, get off it, I'ma write this and roll you like a tight flip. I might get hype just like positive on the night ship. Fresh West is the smoother show and Hoover. Like J. Edgar Hoover, I make but neither charted, and the album really failed to do anything financially as well. And um, unfortunately for Wes, at this point, he found himself getting dissed by members of Toronto's growing hip-hop community. They sort of felt like he had abandoned them. Um, I get that a little bit. The guy moves to the States and starts trying to make records geared to an American audience. I don't think he was doing it for an American audience. I think he was just doing it because this is the kind of music he wanted to make at the time and it's accessible to everybody. And honestly, I thought it was a great album. Yeah. I thought it was just as good as uh, Black Tie Affair. I was surprised too because I heard how little it did. It didn't chart in Canada. And I thought that that surprised me. But I was just shocked that it just, it, it got so ignored and I don't even know if people remember it. But yeah, I really, really liked it. <laughs> There's one song I really liked. It was called, um, oh, Pray to the East. Pray to the East, yeah. Yeah, that was really good. Very angry. He, he was, he, that's the great thing. He was angry at this time. He wasn't going to sugarcoat it for his listeners. Yeah. He, I don't think he could understand why he wasn't resonating when this stuff fits in perfectly with that like tribe called quest de la soul movement that was going on at the time yes and no uh not musically because musically is when they were like de la soul and all these things were doing de la soul was a bad example they were doing more of the like uh like jazz sampling the records and stuff like that uh like you know it's funny i bet if he had put out symphony then he would have jived with those guys better because like you're doing we're doing jazz you're doing classical (laughs) it's like it's very much about black empowerment kind of thing what's best for our people um, he's like, got the order of things mixed up. Yeah, like <laughs> if he had put out that album in like '89, when Straight Outta Compton came out around that time, right? I thought Straight Outta Compton, Straight Outta Compton was early '90s. I thought I thought it was like because I feel like it, like if that had I come guess. out, because The Chronic came out in '92, so by by '92, Drake uh, Dre was already on his own, so uh, it had to have been around that time. Wait. Out of Compton. I don't You're want to get the uh, the movie first. Yeah. I know. <laughs> Give me a fucking song. Uh, released in 88. 
88. Okay, so yeah, like right off the heels of something like that, that would have been yeah. perfect timing. And who knows, maybe if it caught the right people's attention with uh, with what's his face, Ron Nelson, with his connections, maybe yeah. he got him on tour with them. The hard part about that is, is <laughs> he had to be older to release that album. But he had to have the experience, you know what right. I mean? Like, he would have to release everything and then go back in time <laughs> <laughs> and put it out again to fit the scene. But I don't know. I, I just think if you like rap music, you're going to like this album. Right. I, I, that's just what I feel. I'm very flabbergasted as to why his career is faltering, faltering at this point, because that's my favorite section of his career. Um. But he does not get enough atten- uh, credit for his attempts to reinvent himself. Well, he's I reinvented mean, himself more than Madonna. Yeah, yeah. And uh, instead of trying to promote himself at two American audiences, still that didn't care, he moved back to Toronto in 1997 and was determined to take his spot atop the country's hip hop scene. When recording his 1998 album, Built to Last, he rolled out the red carpet for Canadian MCs like his good friend Mishimi, as well as Chaclair, Snow, and Ghetto Concept. And for his lead single, Stick to Your Vision, he sampled one of the biggest Canadian rock songs of all time, These Eyes by the Guess Who, and his work paid off. The album proved to be a hit, and Stick to Your Vision reached number 13 on the Canadian singles charts and received wide play all over much music and Canadian radio. Valley, I seen a lot of peaks. I seen the bitter with the sweet victory and defeat. Sometimes I felt, but a voice kept saying, son, stick to your vision. Keep the composition. Seen a lot of shame in the game. Seen a lot of pain with the fame. Seen a lot of highs and lows, but that's just the way life goes. And uh, it earned another Juno nomination. Of course, it lost to Northern Touch, but uh, we'll get more into Northern Touch a little bit later in the uh, in the podcast. Um, I think that's where me, me and you both first heard Maestro when we were younger. Uh, is that a fair assessment? Oh yeah, because I remember. Because again, we that was the. The golden point for us getting into much music was 97, 98, 99. Mm-hmm. And so that song received so much play, and I loved it. And then it's I remember. such a good song. I remember seeing, well, first of all, it's it's positive. It's, yeah. he's, instead of, you know, he could easily crank out another album like, nah, this kid can't be from Canada, where it's like, seems angry. But instead, he's reflected on it. And he's going for the po- more positive route. I know he got more religious as as he rolled on in life, so maybe this was him starting to turn that tide. Okay. Uh, and because I know I like he always walks around with a big cross on his neck, uh, so maybe that could that could be part of it. But uh, it's yeah. So he looks back on the '90s with like as because as the decade was closing out, he he could look on it with bitterness and contempt, but instead he's like, you know, I've I've done a lot in that in the last 10 years i've seen some great highs you know opening for public enemy and doing these things and i've hit some lows like when he couldn't connect with the the u.s ear holes and uh so he's like buddy he's like gotta stick to your vision to get anywhere so he's like he's not bitter and it's great it's a very motivational song it really is a great song um as far as the album goes, though, if we'll go from the song, because I think the song is fantastic. Uh, it's the best song on the album as far as I'm concerned. Um, I like 
905-416. Well, I was about to get to 905-416. Actually, 416-905. He puts uh, Toronto's area code in front of Hamilton's. Uh, but that was the one that Drake was going off on in the interview. I saw it. Because yeah. <laughs> he said it's the first time he ever heard anyone actually make a song for Toronto or the GTA. Because those are the two area codes that encompass not only Toronto, but then you go out to the west and you got Mississauga and Oakville and Burlington and where me and Brian are from, Hamilton. And it encompasses that entire area. Uh, That was the one that was his big calling when he was uh, younger because he never heard anybody talk about Toronto like this. Like that honestly could have been that song could have been recorded by like Mace. It had that very Mace Puff Daddy oh, yeah. vibe. You know the game like black quarterbacks and guaranteed to put Toronto on the party map. Mr. Mike's in the flash. Album make a splash. Take tower to the bank. Make Stacy want to dash. And like I said, the album itself is like that. The album it's it's a club album. Yeah. Whereas first three were hip hop albums. This is a club album. Right. And he's not singing, he's still rapping, but it just had more of a dance for your feel to it. And that is reflective of what Puff Daddy and Mace were doing at the time. Yeah. The biggest in the world. Uh, did you notice his uh, two Damon Stoudemire references very early? Yeah. <laughs> he makes two references. I mean, I'm sure we'll probably get to this at the end, but that this is one thing that, you know, some bands, some artists, like Drake has turned it into his like niche um it's like i'm from toronto and i'm gonna tell you all about it but it's like one of those things he did it when it was safe whereas like maestro's like yeah he never shied away from telling people he was canadian and uh like referencing in his rhymes back on the first two albums certain landmarks in toronto and uh and people and and that's always been a, a big thing like like the tragically hip 90% 90% of their references people won't get. I mean, it's one thing yeah. like when Eminem, when Eminem shouts out Detroit, you might not be from Detroit. You could be from Wyoming and be like, I know Detroit. I get that reference kind of. Yeah. Um, or Bruce Springsteen always talking about New Jersey, Atlantic City, all these things. You might not be from there, but you connect with like just that yearn to leave kind of feeling. Whereas yeah. like these references, I'm just like, what the hell is he talking about? I don't get yeah. it. So. But for us that grew up in that area, yeah. We know exactly what he's talking about. <laughs> yeah. Like, I do remember being a kid, and this is going to uh, uh, the song Stick to Your Vision. He has that line about Don Mills and Eglinton. Yeah. I thought Don Mills was a guy at first. And I was like, <laughs> who's this guy? This guy? And I think I was driving my dad to a Jay's game. He's like, ah, we're going to get on the Don Mills. I'm like, oh, it's a truck. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the Don Valley Parkway is the highway. Don Mills is a section yeah, of Toronto. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, because Eglinton is such a major street that rolls through all these neighborhoods. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there you go. I, I thought it was a guy at the time. Something from not from Toronto might might think that too. Uh, I, I now, you know what? He was reflecting of the times. I personally think it's the weakest of the first four. What beats for built to last? Oh, okay. Like I go, um, I go black tie affair. Nah, this kid can't be from Canada. Symphony in effect, and then built to last. That's fair. I mean, it's because the thing is, like, as the albums, were, well, as he, by the time he got to that point, I think he was probably shooting for more mass appeal with uh, safe club jams. He wasn't doing as much socially conscious. Like, stick to your vision is probably the most socially conscious, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. He's just, it's more about positivity and this and that, and where it's like not about 
name checking racist professors. <laughs> well, you know the, the 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 one sad thing about stick to your vision because four one six nine zero five didn't do much of the charts. That was really Maestro's last hit. Like he didn't really release a hit single after that, and I really think that he didn't care at this point because he knew his role in the world of hip hop. Now he was the guy that could take the next class and get that next class through and give them exposure. And he did something really cool on his follow-up album uh, ever since. It was released as a two-disc set. The first disc uh, was the album. You uh, Debet and Papa Stro were the singles and uh, featured guests like uh, Cardinal Official and Socrates. Remember Socrates? Yeah. Like Socrates. Uh, but then disc two was a compilation album called Maestro Presents Breaking Hinges, Volume 1. And it just featured up-and-coming Canadian hip-hop artists. Well, like cool. IRS and Citizen Kane. They were the only guys who had uh, profiles I could click on on Wikipedia. <laughs> I hadn't heard of either of them. But he, he did it as a way like, hey, you like me. You're going to get this album. Check this one out. And there might be more people you like. And wouldn't that be cool if more artists did that? Well, that's like they always say that uh, like you're only as good as like what you do. Like if you're a trailblazer in some sort of a field, it doesn't have to be the arts, but like it could be anything. You're only as good as like what you leave behind for the next generation. Yeah. And so um, whether it's like, you know, if you if you're Brett Favre, if he did not mentor Aaron Rodgers, I'm going Packers references for you because they're your guys. But uh, like if Brett Favre wasn't a good mentor to Rodgers, not only did the Packers that they might have suffered not had their Super Bowl and their great run that they've had, but also, you know, Favre would just known, be known as a dickhead. I mean, I mean, I guess he did kind of go out that way with his, like, sending his pictures to his wang and all that, but... Uh, and screwing around the organization, run. like, I'm not retiring. Well, I don't know what you heard. He kind of <laughs> fucked Rogers over at the end there. Oh, yeah, he's banging the, or- the organization could have really fucked. Bang, we're getting off track, but yeah. I see your point. Yeah, you, you might, need that, but- Sometimes you need that shove. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, so yeah. that's that's what he's tried to do. And even just like uh, popping on like other people's tracks, like when classified. I mean, I think by that point, it was 2008. Classified was pretty cemented that like we'll Canadian. We'll get the classified a little bit more later. OK, there's there's some classified mentions coming up. All right. Yeah, they're 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 tight. Maestro classified. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get to that a little bit. <laughs> Uh, but the bulk of the 2000s, he kind of uh, – no, no, also, I want to ask you, did you get to listen to um, Ever Since? I couldn't find it. I was looking for yeah, it. I had a hard time getting that one too. I couldn't find it on Spotify. I was trying to find it on YouTube. Uh, I was trying to download it. Nothing. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think it's lost media. I'm sure we can find it somewhere. But unfortunately, I can't really say too much about this album because me and you both, we, we didn't hear it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but anyhow, he started working on other projects uh, in the 2000s, kind of took a break from making new music. He did release a cover of the Gowan classic, Criminal Mind. I don't know if we'll get into Gowan in a later episode. We might. <laughs> uh, and it's, eh, it's not that great. Uh, but really what he got into was acting. Yeah. And uh, it's ever since that he's been on the show's Blue Murder, uh, Platinum, uh, Metropia, Instant Star, where he and Drake shared a dressing room when Drake was doing uh, Degrassi. They worked out of the same studio, but they'd shoot on different days. So right. they put Drake and Maestro in the same studio, but they had to get all their shit out. <laughs> I'm 
after they were done filming because then Drake was going in and the monster was going in. So that's how they got to know each other uh, at a very young age. Uh, also, Mr. D, which he has a major role on Mr. D, which is kind of probably the biggest hit out of all of these. But uh, he did get a Genie nomination, which is our version of the Emmys, for his work on the TV show The Line, which I haven't seen either. I think the only one out of all of these that I've seen is Mr. D. And Metropia, I saw. Because you remember, familiar. Metro- you remember CFMT? Canada's first multicultural television that became Omni. Yeah. It was their first original programming. Oh, okay. So, yeah, because here's the, okay, so CFMT is a really interesting station. For each part of the day, it was geared to a different culture. So from like 9 o'clock to like 11 o'clock, it was all Asian. Yeah, because I always saw Yan Can cook. Yeah. But but it was but it was also in Chinese or Cantonese or, or what have you, and I yeah. think they'd go from like they'd switch it up as it went along, and then it was all East Indian in the afternoon, right? And then it would go from Pakistan to India, and like it'd switch around like throughout the day, and then like the prime time viewing was English Canadian, and that's when they'd show The Simpsons. Yeah, and, that's uh, where I was caught. Children, it. yeah, because the, it was one the of the Simpsons. first. It was one of the first places in Canada to carry The Simpsons on syndication and then at night they could go back to being Asia because you know the CBC can have their French coverage yeah. but this is, this is yeah it was kind of cool they turn up the middle of the day and some guy be speaking Chinese at you <laughs> it was an original thing but that was their first uh, original television program that they had right. English audiences and uh, Maestro was the lead actor on it so that's cool kinda cool yeah uh He's also been in a couple of movies, too, um, but they're blink and you miss some roles. Uh, he was in Get Rich or Die Tryin', which was basically 50 Cent's biopic. Yeah, it was his 8 Mile, but he doesn't play 50 Cent, but it's, it's the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. It's based on his life. He's in there somewhere. And uh, he was in Four Brothers. And I also wanted to tell you this. He, he was on one episode of the TV adaptation of Soul Food, which was a movie. And do you remember our college professor, David Niven? Yeah, did he work on that? He worked on it. Oh. And it was funny. Every now and then, he'd whip out some, like, black slang or some West Indies slang. And he'd go, you like that? I learned it from working on Soul Food. <laughs> and he did that like ten times when we had him. <laughs> it was his way to show he was hip. <laughs> anyway, um, all right, 2010. He released a self-help book in 2010. Actually, if you go to his IMDb page, it's not a picture of him. It's a picture of his book. It's kind of funny. <laughs> it's called Stick to Your Vision, How to Get Past the Hurdles and the Haters and Get Where You Want to Be. It was met with widespread acclaim, and it's currently mandatory reading for high school students in Nova Scotia. Every high school student in Nova Scotia has to read that book, and he's got strong connections now to Nova Scotia because of the book. He's got an honorary doctorate out there, and uh, oh yeah, he's he's a big deal on the East Coast. I mean, maybe, I don't know. Maybe the the East Coast, because of like problems with the fishing industry, they've also seen some high highs and low lows. I <laughs> need to deal with it. <laughs> you know what? Maestro's such a caring guy. If you put him out there, he'd probably settle every squabble. 
Oh, probably. He's like, that nice. He could run for prime minister. Well, here's a list of the charities that he oversees. War Child, Sick Kids in Toronto, Covenant House, the Special Olympics, Battered Women's Support Services, and African Aid Society. He, he's always working to better others, just like he did in his music career. Yeah. Which we're going to get back to right now, because after that big break where he just expanded his profile in other ways, he released in 2012 the Black Tuxedo EP, which got him another Juno nomination. Again, I was listening to that this morning while I was dropping a deuce. Isn't it good? It's great. It's so good. I usually skip over EPs because I'm like, ah, they weren't, if they weren't proud of it, if they were proud of it, they put it on an album. They wouldn't put yeah. it out as an EP. But I listened to it. And I he, I was just trying to listen to a couple of songs to get familiarized with that were like kind of like important to, uh, to Maestro. I ended up listening to the whole thing and I loved it. And uh, I should have done it more with some of the other ones where I wrote down the tracks I loved. Um, here's where we talk about uh, Classified. He's on the album. And he samples a little bit of O Canada. I uh, believe he does that on – oh, no, we're getting to a sample of O Canada later. Uh, but Classified's on there, and you hear O Canada at the beginning of our show. The Trues are on there, a Canadian yeah. rock band. And uh, on one of the tracks, uh, the title track, the Black, tu- Black Tuxedo, he gets into it about the Rascals, not including him on Northern Touch. Northern Touch was a classic tune, but one MC was missing, though. If I'm lying, I'm dying. At the end of the day, there's no comparing. Did you pick that up? Yeah, I mean, I could yeah. see him having a bit of a, a bit of a gripe because, I mean, you know, at that time, him and Shaw Claire were boys and Cardinal. So it's like hmm. you're going to put all these people who like it's like if, if you had a party and you invite all of my friends and even like my extended friends, like you invite my old roommate, Sean, and you don't invite yeah. me. It's like, hey, you know, you invite this guy, you know, through me. Come on. I, I see what you mean there. Um but at the same time, this was the new school of Canadian hip hop saying, hey, we're here. Right. We're here to make a statement. Having Maestro on there, and, and this is an unbiased opinion, I don't think it would have made any sense. I suppose. But I mean, also on top of the the connection of like him already bringing those guys into the folds, he would add a bit more clout. I mean, not that the, that single had any trouble reaching an audience yeah. did very well but i mean it could have it could have uh, increased it even more plus you know the uh chocolates from i forget what his descent is cardinal's uh caribbean oh yeah Chocolates. and like and maestro's guy and you see so bringing all these people who bring different you know cultural parts to it yeah. too it's it, like it's uh it's a northern touch but it's also like a global touch you know what i mean if that makes sense i'm looking at chocolate right now Cause Cause I'm pretty it. sure Red One is from Jamaica. I forget where the other guy's from. Oh, I know they got people in Jamaica. Trinidad, London, Australia. <laughs> then they, they, they stop naming places after. Hey, if you know the song, we'll, we'll probably cut this part out. <laughs> anyway, oh, uh, Kareem Blake. That's Shaclair's name. Uh, he's Jamaican too. Okay, so yeah, a bunch yeah. of them have Jamaican roots, but either way, uh, like so, there's that cultural aspect too. Plus, it's like, I mean, imagine if after the Rascals started off, if, imagine if it was Maestro then almost passing the torch off to the young guys, or if it yeah. was Maestro to start it and then the Rascals kick in, it's almost like it's your world now, Squirrel. Like, do something with it. But he wasn't done yet. I don't know. He was but, there to help people and use his fame to bring people to the forefront. I don't think he was ready to say, "Hey, I'm stepping back." which right. is eventually what he did. But he had another hit in him. Because I believe uh, Stick to Your Vision came out after Northern Touch. So he hadn't made his comeback yet. I suppose. 
Yeah. Oh, also another mention, another jam off of uh, Black Tuxedo that I really liked was the song Reach for the Sky. Yeah. Because it included a sample of Try by Blue Rodeo. And (laughs) it was just like Stick to Your Vision. You wouldn't think of a classic Canadian rock song to be used that way, especially a ballad. But he used it and it sounded so good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, you know, if we were to make a, a list of EPs of all time. Uh, yeah, there's number one right there. <laughs> Usually I skip the EPs. I didn't that time. I'm glad I didn't. Uh, a year later, he came out with Orchestrated Noise. And on that album, he went from just being known as Maestro back to being known as Maestro Fresh Wes. And he included uh, some interesting guest stars in this one as well. Sam Roberts is on the album. And uh, it'll take me a few tries. But opera singer Misha Bruger gossman I hope I got that. But yeah, he had an opera singer on there. But it also includes the big song, and this is a big one, Black Trudeau, uh, in which he performed uh, with Public Enemy at the show that uh, we saw. Yeah. Before Drake was on the tour bus, rhyming with Wayne. I was in my basement, vibing the cane. I beat a prime minister. I'll set the stage for you. Me and Brian go to see uh, Public Enemy, and they're doing uh, – it takes a nation of millions to hold us back from start to finish. That's what it was advertised as. Now, Chuck yeah. D gets out of the beginning. He's like, we'd only be on the stage for 45 minutes if we were to just do that. And they wound up just playing everything, and it was one of the yeah. best shows I ever saw. But at one point, he points them to the balcony, and down come Maestro Fresh Wes and Mishi Me. And Maestro just gets on the mic, and I, I thought he was freestyling. Yeah. But it was this. It was the lyrics to uh, Black Trio, and holy shit, he blew everyone away. And it was such a cool moment. He left Chuck D on the floor. Yeah, yeah. I, I haven't seen. I haven't gone back and watched the video, but I just thought it was. It was like if this night can't get any better. Here we go. Yeah. And the line he had about Doug Ford telling him to stick to nutrition. No, Rob Ford telling him to stick to nutrition. Toronto's crack smoking there. That was great. And uh, that's the song that contains a sample of Classified that right. has uh, O Canada in it. And uh, whew, yeah, that's a doozy, that one. He really put out some great work in the early two, uh, early 2010s. Yeah. Really did on par with that uh, early 90s stuff. Um, composition Part 1 was an EP that followed, and this one contains Maestro's favorite song that he ever wrote. It's called I Know Your Mom. And it <laughs> is another one that's awesome. <laughs> I used to run to your gates way back in 93. Your mom's oatmeal was lumpy. <laughs> and it's basically just like, hey, Junior, respect your manners, because I can go diss your mom. And I don't want to, but I will. Right. And it is so good. And he finally got a little bit of widespread play because his song underestimated off of this album. Um, It appeared on the EA Sports video game NHL 17. And underestimated is really a good title for Maestro's career. And it's just a shame that only us Canadians got to enjoy it. Uh, 2017 brought Coach Fresh, which included the song Jurassic Park, which was a tribute to the Raptors. And uh, his most recent release was 2019's Champagne Campaign. Uh, I heard the song Jurassic Park. I haven't listened to the albums uh, Coach Fresh or Champagne Campaign yet. That's a tongue twister. Uh, Did you get to listen to those at all? 
I heard uh, I heard a bit of Jurassic Park, but actually, I just want to cycle back real sec. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, you skipped over one. I think it was off orchestral noise in 2013. Okay. He did a duet. He did a duet with Lights on the song Desire. It's oh, cool. uh, okay. it's in the little intro that I uh, edited together. Uh, it's it's very much a driving, like very inspirational kind of like it's it's something that could have been played before a Raptors game playoff run. Uh, like really, lights did a really good hook with the desire part. It's let's go. It's, She's I, I basically tailor made to do rap hooks. I don't yeah, know why yeah. it took so long for that marriage to come together. Yeah, she's a perfect person to sing rap hooks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, so yeah, that, that was out. another just another feather in his quality cap. Oh wow. Yeah. This is this is a one that's really just going to boggle my mind. I think part of me thinks one of the reasons why he didn't hit it big in the U.S. was just because there was so much going on in terms of quality hip hop artists that were coming out at that time that American journalists had to make cuts to who they cover some of the great ones just didn't make the cut and I think they thought well he's Canadian while it should have played as a he's Canadian cover this guy he's a rarity (laughs) in this field it was oh he's Canadian that won't sell well, it's, I think that's where he was hurt in the U.S. There's that, and the the thing is, uh, the states are very much married to their little pockets of, uh, you know, are you a West Coast, East Coast, are you from Atlanta? Uh, like so, like there's that, and it's also just like, you know, who's part of your crew? And uh, it's like, you know, like you know, Eminem got in, even though he's from Detroit, he got in because he got into the Dr. Drake's fold, right? So yeah. he got part of. So it's like maybe Maestro, if because also you got to remember, Public Enemy in the midst of like the professor griff controversy like they kind of lost relevance until for a bit in the 90s too they did it was it was really like he got game yeah that's and that's around maestro came back around the same time yeah you're you're absolutely right it was kind of you're right it was kind of like these old schoolers just aren't playing but he was new school to the americans right well and he, he was doing music that sounded like music of the time yeah and was of the time yeah well, it's, I mean, it's it's boggling. I mean, some people could could look past the geographical references and like say, oh, this is just quality music. Some people are like, he's an outsider. He's not yeah. a New York boy. He's not an L.A. boy. Like, we don't like it. Or he's not from Chicago. So, I mean, it's hard to say. But he, I mean, when he, he could have stayed in the States and gutted it out, tried to uh, get into that right fold. But I guess he was, you know, some people when they cut ties if like they he's like if he made up his mind he's like i'm never going back to canada this is my home now it might be easier but he always felt pulled back like they were we were pulling him back home and yeah and he, he was okay with that because he embraced it oh yeah he yeah a big totally. fish in a small pond like the tragically hip again like they're the hugest yeah. one of the biggest bands in the country i I, I, think you're, I think you're right i think with maestro it got to the point where he kind of thinks what we're what we're saying right now. You don't know what you're missing, and you know, uh, you won't know what you missed. I guess. I'm sorry, I'm not yeah. right. Uh, one of those things, and uh, I, I, he's content with that. He's helping yeah. the next generation. He's helping a ton of charities. Yeah. Uh, he's still making really good music. 
like, yeah, it'd be one thing if he was like, he's like, ah, oh, since I've left Canada, there's all these cats coming up that are just taking my place and I don't even have an audience here anymore. Yeah. Like, where he's like, I better go back to the States and try to do something. But like, we always welcomed him back. He always sold out shows and all these, did all these great things. So it's, uh, it's one of those things. People like you go where the work is and his work and everything, whether it's charitable causes, film, TV, music, all led him back home. And so it's one of those things. I'm sure he has no regrets about that. Well, you know what? If, 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 if it's only Canadians that get to hear him, I'm very proud to be Canadian. Yeah. And that's probably a good place to leave off. Do you have any other maestro memories you want to throw in here, Brian, that we didn't get a chance to talk about, that we didn't get to include? Any stories you may have heard? Well, I mean, just like aside from him sampling classified and uh, uh, bringing classified on, he also helped. He came on one of classified song to help bolster his numbers on that he song. Did, hard, yeah. hard to be hip hop. So I'm sure uh, he's he would probably I could probably try to find some interviews with classified where he'd probably speak very highly of him as a mentor. Um, did you ever hear the song he did about? the Raptors like the game six he basically just breaks it down game to game and like and the, all the when the Raptors oh, won game the six against the, yeah okay so I have not heard that one I heard Jurassic Park which was done two years before they won I'll yeah. have to hear this one because how did he fill up those closing minutes when the Warriors knew they were going to lose so they just kept fouling <laughs> fouling everybody and then the Warriors they fouled they fouled again they fouled again. <laughs> I mean, he's talking up. about uh, Freddie and and uh, Lowry and uh, what's uh, his face? Um, uh, b- 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 uh, Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, Kawhi and being like immortal for the rafters and all these things. It's, it's a it's a nice song. I mean, it's it's one of those things because when you're when you're trying to summarize a song like that or an event where it's like this this happened and this it's it's almost runs like mundane, but yeah. he keeps it very like. Uh, he kept it very, no pun intended, he kept it very fresh. Well, I have to give, give that a listen to. I got a lot more Maestro to listen to. Like, even yeah. preparing for this, I didn't even. Nah, I scratched the surface, that's for sure. But there was a lot more of that recent stuff. It just, I think I was just surprised with how good the recent stuff is that yeah. isn't getting attention. And it really well, should be. Like, I love Public Enemy, but I love the old Public Enemy. Like, in the 2000s, like, when the 2010s, they have a few quality things, but then there's a lot of crap in there that I just didn't – don't jive with. Yeah. Um, but, like, whereas, like, Maestro, when people could have easily written them off, he's like, no, this is very good. And also, he, he merged with the times well, too, because, like, that Desire song with Lights, it almost could have had a very – uh, Imagine Dragons kind of feel not like the song, but it has like you know how Imagine Dragons like their drops, like where it's like yes. So he did like something like that in the song where it kicks off and the lights his hook. So it's like he he merged gracious uh, gracefully with the times. He wasn't yeah. just like oh, look at this guy trying to remain hip by doing this. He's like no, this is where music. Like, he stayed relevant that way. You know what I mean? Where he's yeah. like he's not doing symphony over and over again. That's that's the another thing that we can bring up is when you go through the catalog you're not going to get bored yeah he's not doing the same thing twice yeah well that does it for our uh, maestro episode of canada fm uh next week we are going to take a look at a band uh that really only became well known to american audiences through the theme song of a sitcom that was out 15 years after they had broken up and uh that'll be a fun one i'm talking about doug 
and the slugs. <laughs> oh, we're going to have some fun with Doug and the slugs, Brian. <laughs> Trust me on that. Ari started writing the script, and man, they've got some fun songs. So that's going to be a, a very different episode from the Maestro one. Probably be a lot shorter. There's a lot less to cover, but <laughs> we'll have a good time with Doug and the slugs. So oh, until yeah. next time, I'm Ted. I'm Brian. Canada FM. Check one, two, one, two.